Well, thank you so much, Pastor Skit, and uh, and really the el- the leaders here at Tumble Bible Church who have given me the opportunity to come and bring the Word of God to you today. I always tell people that apart from Jesus, the most important part of my life is my family, and uh, I'm married to a very beautiful woman. Uh, her name is Faith, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Um, so you marry her. And uh, God has blessed us with two beautiful daughters. Uh, Aliyah is the oldest, and she's here with us, actually, in children's ministry right now, I think. And Albright is four years old, really making four next month. Um, and she's our second born. And Alvin, I left Uganda when Alvin was three, week, three weeks old. He's now two months old. Uh, you're all so quiet. <laughs> yeah, and that's my family. Actually, I, I would like for you to, I've brought a picture for uh, all of you who would like to pray for our family so you can have one uh, with that. Um, what am I saying? Praise the Lord. There are really three reasons why this time I've come to the U.S. Uh, I've, I'm doing school. And I'm just finishing my uh, Demon program with Multnomah University. That's the reason I had to leave my baby at three months, three weeks old to come and study. I've done that for uh, two weeks uh, at the beginning of the month of June. Um, then the second reason really I come over is our ministry uh, depends a lot on the generosity of people here. So I come to meet people who support our ministry and also to raise uh, more funds for the ministry. And then the third reason is the most exciting for me. It's what I really, really enjoy is to preach God's word. So today I'm not doing school. I'm not doing fundraising. I am preaching the word of God and I'm excited about it today. And uh, um, I do not intend at all to preach like Skit does. I don't know how he does it. Um, so I'm just going to preach like I preach in Uganda. Will you allow me to do that? Uh, thank you. Now, to do that, you've got to help me out. Because in Uganda, when I preach, there's this thing that goes on between the preacher and the congregation. Every now and then, I'll say, praise the Lord, and everybody in the congregation says, amen. And other times, you'll hear an hallelujah. It comes out like a question form. And then everybody says, Amen. So every time I say, praise the Lord, you say, Amen. And hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. It will be somewhere in the sermon. It's not uh, uh, rehearsed or what. It just comes out. It's just the way we do it. Uh, but I would really appreciate. It really helps in the sermon when we are all together. Uh, well, let's pray and get into the word of God. Father, I, I want to thank you again for another opportunity to share your word again with your people here in Tumble. And I bless you and I thank you for your spirit who is already here with us. He is helping us understand what the scriptures are saying. And so I pray for a spirit of clarity. I pray that our minds will be alert and our uh, hearts will be receptive and our spirits will be joined to the Spirit of God who is here, Lord, to understand what you're saying to us. 
And so um, may you have your way here today, Father. I pray that every word that comes out of these lips will be uh, spirit-led and Christ-honoring and that uh, your people will be encouraged, motivated, and lifted up in you. I bless you and give you glory in the name of Jesus and all God's people say it. Amen. Today I'm, I'm going to be talking to you about victory. Uh, really, uh, the, the, the victories of David. You've been looking at this guy, David. Now, before I came here, I was in Reno. And a friend of mine in Reno uh, asked me, he wanted to take me out to have some fun and some relaxation. So he said, you know, we could do two, one of two things. We could go out camping. Oh, we could go at a hotel. There's a, there's, a, there, there's a hotel there that they have this thing where you're kind of like climbing walls uh, in, in a hotel. And for me, my, my choice was very clear because in Uganda, my memories of spending nights in a forest were actually in times of war. So I don't go camping because I don't like war. I, I, do, I don't like fighting. I, I, in fact, I really hate pressure and resistance. I, I don't want to be involved in fights and war. I, I just hate it. Uh, but then, I like victory. I like winning. And I think all of us do. So, somewhere within us, we love the thrill of victory and and winning. But the challenge or the irony of victory is that victory presupposes war. And you cannot have victory if you've not had a fight. You cannot really, uh, on the other end of victory is a fight. And so I realized then that if I like victory. I like winning. It really means it's not the fight that is a problem for me. It's not that I don't want to fight or I don't want to be engaged in why I don't like pressure. No, it is that I hate losing. I don't like to lose. I don't like to fail. And so I don't like, I don't want to be in a war or in a fight, not because I don't want to be in a war or in a fight, but it's simply because I don't like even the prospect of failing. But now, suppose there was a way of guaranteeing my victory before I even engaged in war. Then, I like fighting. I will take on anybody as long as I know that the odds are all for me and against my enemy. I, I, at that point, if somehow, some way, I can guarantee my victory before I engage in a fight, come on, bring it on. I'm going to take you on because my victory is guaranteed. And so, uh, frankly, it, therefore, I do not, it's not that I hate the fight. I actually get excited about the fight. I am looking forward to it because somehow I can guarantee that I can win. Now, in the scriptures, if there is anybody 
that knew about war and victory, it was David. As a young man, David had killed a lion. He had killed a bear. As a teenager, he went on a front line and took out a giant and won himself a wife. He was a man of war. And he knew what victory means. At one time, he enters a city and all the ladies in the city are shouting, David, Saul has killed his thousands and David has killed his tens of thousands. He's a man of war. But he also knows what victory means. Uh, at one point, uh, Saul tells him, if you want a wife, go get me 200 Philistine skins. And he goes, he brings him 400. He is a man of war and a man of victory. But if you look uh, quite uh, behind what David is uh, and the victories and the, the things that he engages in, you realize there is something that is a distinction underneath all his victories and the things, uh, the wars that he conquers. Underneath all of that lies a distinction that I think is true of all of us, God's people, that before David gets engaged in any fight, whether it's with a lion, a bear, a, a giant, or a whole nation, before he's engaged in any of that, David somehow knows that the victory is already granted to him before he engages. And so, really, by the time this guy is going in into war to fight, the guys coming against him have no chance. And they have no chance because just as it is true for you and I, David knows that he has God on his side. And when you know that you have God on your side, and when you know that you are going into this fight, but God has already actually given you the victory over your foe, over your enemy, then it becomes exciting. It becomes incredible. So today we are going to be looking at Second uh, Samuel chapter 8. And in Second Samuel chapter 8, we are going to find David already beginning, uh, uh, David now, he has, or he has become a king and he is engaged in these wars where every time he is conquering, he, every time he is defeating his enemies. You, you, what, what you see, the Bible says in verse 1 that after this it came to pass, that David attacked the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Methag, Ammon, from the hand of the Philistines. Says, after this, after what? After uh, David, at this point, finally, the promise for him to become king has come to pass. First, he was king of the tribe of Judah for seven and a half months. And then after that, he has finally become the king of the entire nation of Israel. So after this, after he has become king, but not just king, because once he becomes king, he also decides to move the headquarters of, 
of his kingdom to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem at that time was under the, the Philistines, the Jebusites. And so with a, after some fierce fighting with the Jebusites, David also wins over Jerusalem and establishes his kind of command center, his headquarters for the whole uh, kingdom in Jerusalem. But he's not satisfied with that because he knows that the reason he is winning, the reason he is experiencing all the victory that he has been experiencing is because God is with him. And he, he loves the presence of God. He, he loves to be where God is, but the representation of God's presence at that time is the Ark of the Covenant, and it's not with him in Jerusalem. So he decides to go and bring it from wherever it was. And with much celebration and great jubilation, the whole Nations, the whole nation joins him and he dances himself crazy as the Ark of the Covenant enters Jerusalem. After this, still uh, uh, after that, David sits and looks at all the things that God has brought for him and he lives in this nice house. He has a great palace and the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the, pre- the representation of God's presence in, in his kingdom is in a tent. And David decides, no, that's not right. Let's build God a house. But then God says, no, David, the idea is not bad. But you have so much blood on your hand, you can't build me a house. But nonetheless, I like your idea. And because I like your idea, actually, because it came to you, what we are are going to do is I'm going to make a covenant with you that will give you a legacy that will live throughout generations. You will always have a king from your line because you just thought about the presence and preserving the presence of God in your kingdom. And so little wonder, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes from the line of David. And the Bible says that after all this, after this, then uh, uh, David attacks the Philistines and subdues them. And David takes method armor from the hand of the Philistines. He doesn't stop there. Because then in verse 2, he goes to Moab and defeats Moab. Forcing them down to the ground, he measured them off with a line with Two lines he measured off those to be put to death, and with one line, those to be kept alive. So the Moabites became David's servants and brought tribute. You get this? Basically, what he does, he goes to Moab and gets all the people, lines them up, and tells them to fall to the ground, and he gets a stick. I don't know how big, how long it was, but whatever size, he gets it and uh, measures one and two. And uh, so if you are behind that line, you are bad potatoes, he kills, and then he measures another line. Well, that's uh, okay. Those can we can use. Let them become our workforce. And he goes on like that. So he ends up with only a third of Moab, and they're all working for him. Well, then there's this guy called Hadadezer, and Hadadezer is a king of another kingdom. And the Bible says in verse 3 that David also defeated Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his territory at the river Euphrates. Hallelujah. 
David took him, uh, David took him from him 1,000 chariots, 700 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. Also, David Armstrong, all his chariots, except that he spared enough of them for 100 chariots. You see what is going on? He goes, gets Hadadezer, basically uh, defeats his whole army, takes away all his horses, kills some, and then decides to preserve a few for his chariots. But then Hadadezer is part of a larger group, and his kingdom is part of a larger group called the Syrians or the Armenians. And, and what then, when he defeats this group, uh, Hadadezer is supposed to be one of the great kings in the Assyrian people group. He, in fact, he has brought a few other kingdoms under his reign. But now David has defeated him. Well, the other Syrians, other groups of Syrians, decide to come in and help Hadadezer. And the Bible says in verse 6, in verse 5, that when the Assyrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became David's servants and brought tribute. So the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold that had belonged to the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Also, from Beta and from uh, Berathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a large amount of bronze. This guy, David, all his enemies really have no idea that they have no chance against him. So when they are attacking, they think they are attacking David. And to their great dismay, they are all defeated. And what David does is, uh, uh, is he gets all the silver and all the gold and all the bronze and just brings it before the Lord. Now as he defeats Hadadezer, there is another guy who decides to take advantage of this because if you can't beat them, then better join them. So the Bible says, when Toy, verse 9, when Toy, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, then Toy sent Jeram, his son, to King David to greet him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him for Hadadezer had been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, articles of gold, articles of bronze. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and the gold that he had dedicated from all the nations uh, which he had subdued from Assyria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon, from the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoils of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So basically... Whichever nation David defeated, he brought its riches and dedicated them to the Lord. Silver, gold, bronze, he brought them from all the nations, the Philistines, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the um, Syrians, and later we are going to see even from Edom, he brings them, for the scripture continues and says, and David made himself a name, 
when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the valley of salt. He put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. Would you say this with me, please? And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. In that statement lies the key that unlocks the victories that David experienced. In that statement lies the key uh, for the victory of all God's people. Because on the outside, as these men and women, as these kingdoms came to attack David, they thought they were attacking another guy just as they had done before. But what they did not realize is that underneath the victory, underneath uh, the guy that they were attacking was a God that was more powerful than any force that can come against David. And so, whenever they came against David, or whenever David went against them, they really, really had no chance at all because God was with him and God was working and God was fighting for David and God was fighting against them and God was giving David the victory. So behind all the victories against the Philistines, against the Moabites, against the Syrians, against the Edomites, David really was just given the victory by God. It was God who was fighting for David. It was God who was with David. It was God who was behind the victories. It was God who did it. It was God. It was God. It was God who gave David the victories. Please understand that the enemies that David was facing, praise the Lord, the, the, the enemies that David was facing were real enemies. They were valid threats to the entire nation of Israel. In fact, what had just happened before David, Saul had just been killed in a very fierce uh, and terrible war against the Philistines. They had the Philistines had terribly beaten the Israelites. And so the enemies that were facing David were valid threats. But this is the point I want us to see. And the point is that just because the Lord is with you, it does not shield you from the fight of real life. Just because the Lord is with you, it does not shield you from the fight of real life. God is with you. God is with me. 
you are still going to fight. And this is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. From verse 12 to 13, the Bible says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but, actually, before that, after that but, you can still add this statement, but we wrestle against rulers. In other words, Paul is saying, it is true we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but actually we are wrestling. You are in a fight. And you are wrestling against spiritual forces, against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of, over this uh, present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Brother and sister sitting here today, if you do not think that you are in a war, you are in a fight, I'm sorry, you are just lying to yourself. We are at war. The church of Christ is at war. We are living in times when the fight against who we are and our very existence as the church of God is under threat by formidable forces, by valid forces. And I would say, and even for the church here in America, we, we, we need to, to understand, we need to, to rise up to the reality that you have a warfare going on around you. And you are engaged in a fight against forces of evil, and cosmic powers of this present darkness. You are involved in a fight. A fight that wants you to give up who you are in Jesus. That wants you to give up your identity as described by scripture. A fight that wants you to redefine yourself, not according to the word of God, but according to all the other dictates of philosophy, psychology, and whatever theology. You are involved in a fight against rulers, against powers, against authorities, against spiritual forces of evil around you. Your fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is a real fight. It is a reality. Now, in times of war, if you slumber and sleep during the fight, you're taken out. You know that. So in times of war, that's why Paul says, therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And the evil day is not a future day. It is today. Hallelujah. You are involved in a fight. And you ought to be aware, brothers and sisters, that you are involved in a war. 
in this present evil day of darkness today. But that you should take on the full armor of God, that you should be able, after you have done all, to stand and withstand. Because you know what? The other reality is this. That even though you and I are involved in such a real and fierce war, our victory is guaranteed. The odds are in our favor. The church of Christ is not going to be taken out. Actually, we the people of God are taking out all the forces of darkness. Because our victory is guaranteed. So, we are not supposed to be in a place where we are scared and afraid and timid. Because even though the war is real, and even though our enemy is real, even though the war rages on, Our victory is guaranteed. And I'm telling you, if I am going in any war, if 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 anything is coming against me, and somehow I know that my victory is guaranteed, I'm excited about that war. Bring it on. Hallelujah. And so that is you and me. Today, against all the forces of evil and darkness that we are fighting against, our victory has guaranteed, is guaranteed. This is what Paul ta- talks to us about Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, In this way, he, Jesus, disarmed, disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Did you see that? Yes, we are fighting against rulers and authorities and the cosmic powers of evil and darkness. Yes, that is true. But you know what? When he went to that cross, when he hung on that tree, Jesus disarmed the authorities and rulers and publicly ashamed them on, by his victory on that cross. And you know what that means, brothers and sisters? Is that the victory that Christ won was a victory he won for you, his bride. And so we who are in Jesus have defeated all darkness and all powers of evil in Christ. We are his bride. We are his church. And he said, I will build a church. And the kingdom of darkness shall not prevail against it. We are the church of Christ. We are a formidable force. And there is no power of darkness and power of evil that can stand against us. If we as the church of Christ stand, if we won't be scared, if we will say we will be what God has called us to be, We will be true to who we are defined as by the scriptures of Jesus. The powers of darkness and evil and and brokenness that we live around have no chance against us. Because as God gave victory 
to David. He is giving us victory also. Hallelujah. We are God's people. And God is on our side. And if the Lord is on our side, who can be against us? Hallelujah. So there is no fight. There is no battle. There is no resistance. There is no pressure. There, there is nothing that is coming against you that you are standing by yourself alone. You are not alone. He has not left you by yourself. He has not left the church by itself. He is still with us. He is fighting for us. Just as he was with Sadrach, Message and Abednego in that fiery furnace, so is he with you and I. As he was with Daniel in that den of lions, so is he with us. As he was with Peter in Herod's prison, so is Jesus with us. God is on our side. God is fighting for us. God is with us. So we do not need to be afraid of the enemy that is coming against us. Yes, we are going to fight. Yes, we are going to resist. Yes, we are going to stand. But you know why? You know why we are going to stand? You know why we won't be afraid? You know why we will be strong in the Lord? It's because he is fighting for us. And he is not only fighting for us as though he needs to face the same kind of resistance. He is already giving us the victory. So the Bible tells us that when David attacked the Philistines, wherever he went, God gave him the victory. When David attacked the Moabites. They had no clue. But God went with him. He was with him. Not just to give him company, but to give him victory. And so when the Assyrians came against David, the Bible says, David defeated and subdued them. You know why? Because God was with David everywhere he went. Not just to give him company, but to give him victory over his fears. God is with you. And God is with me. God is with his church. And because God is with us, we overcome. Hallelujah. Somebody just give God a hand of praise. It's... Hallelujah. May the Lord bless you. He is with us.